0: Well, I don't know if you have heard this before, but it's true that all of us care about our own relationships. Maybe they feel difficult, maybe they feel fun, but we care about them because we we feel so deeply connected to them. But did you know that the Bible actually says that God cares about it too? And it's a whole lot deeper than just thinking you should be a good boy or be a good girl. right? It actually says in Genesis chapter 2, which is the second chapter of the entire Bible which is actually still on page one of the Bible, that it was actually God who created the first marriage because he thought Adam and Eve would be better together. And he called it good. And so one of the things that we can often forget as we're going through our lives, of course, I want my marriage to be good. Did you know that God actually wants your marriage to be good? He wants your relationships to be joyful, to be peaceful, to be happy, and... Here's the exciting thing that we're going to explore today. And he wants to help. So I don't know where you're coming from today. Maybe you're kicking the tires on faith. Maybe you're not convinced yet about God, Jesus, and the Bible. Maybe you've been through something difficult. And even as I start talking, you're thinking, man, I know where you're going with this, but you don't know where I've been. Well, let me just encourage you that there is good news, there is hope for our relationships. And that the message of the Bible is that part of God's love is that he wants to show it to you through those relationships. And so to help us explore that today, we've actually invited a special friend of ours named Shanti Feldhahn. Now, Shanti was trained at Harvard. She is an analytical researcher. She's been featured on everything from Focus on the Family to the New York Times. She's been an analyst on Wall Street. So she's very sharp. And she's done a ton of research on what it is that really goes into like a happy marriage. A lot of that includes some major aha moments about how men think, how women think, how we can help each other understand one another. So would you help me welcome to our stage, Shanti Feldhahn. Great to have you, have a seat. Join me in the living room, the family <laughs> room, if you will.
1: I know, it's nice. I like it. It's very <laughs> it's cool. Very,
0: it's definitely comfortable.
1: I need coffee.
0: <laughs> That's, that I don't have.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Shanti, I know I mentioned this to you already, but I thought it would be helpful for um, all of my friends to know, too, that as we, as we share this stuff today, I've encountered this very personally. Um, so my wife, Melissa, and I, I feel like we've hit every phase of a marriage that that people can hit. Not in the longevity uh, yet, but we've had the days where we feel like our marriage is great, and we love each other more than ever before, and life is just good, and why would you want it any other way? But we've also hit the days that are very challenging, and um, I don't know, I guess I lose count of the years, but some years ago in what was probably the most challenging season for our marriage, Mm when you're begging for words like hope because you, you want that to be real, uh, was when I first came across your work. Hmm. And so one of the things that was so encouraging to me in that was that like, I knew I had areas that I needed to grow, things that I wanted to work on, places I wanted to be a better father, a better husband. But one of the things that came out of those books, For Men Only and For Women Only, was that the research you had done, it reflected me. And so as my wife picks up this book and it says, you know, he might not be crazy, (laughs) 85% of guys tend to think this way or react that way or, you know, their brains work like this. And I thought, oh my goodness, somebody understands me and they're telling my wife (laughs) that I might not be crazy. Some of this might just be kind of the way I'm wired, you know. Uh, And that was just so encouraging for me because I think a lot of times in our marriages we feel like if only I could get them to understand. And that just helps so much with that. And so the kind of the question, if it's all right with you, that I'd like to yeah, start with absolutely. is what sort of got you into that kind of research?
1: It, because it doesn't, it's not the norm for somebody in my shoes. Like normally, if somebody's sitting up here talking about relationships, it's a psychologist, mm-hmm. right? Or a therapist. And that is so not me. <laughs> I actually started out um, as an analyst on Wall Street. And um, when this whole thing started, Jeff and I moved from New York City to Atlanta, which is where we live today, and this whole thing started because, actually, I had a chance to write a couple of novels, of all Mm -hmm. things, and one of the main characters in this novel I was writing was a man, and I realized I didn't know how to put thoughts in his head. (laughs) Like, I couldn't just say what this character was doing. I had to say what he was thinking, Mm -hmm. And, um, and I had no clue what a guy would be thinking, and so I started... I would talk to Jeff or other guys and as they started telling me what they'd actually be thinking in a given scene for example half the time I was like seriously <laughs> like I found myself kind of shocked honestly and then I started as I as I did more of those I started to realize that wait a minute like what I'm hearing it's not just that it's surprising. What I'm hearing is really foundational. Like, these weren't things that these men described thinking and feeling like every couple of months. Like, this was stuff that was so central. It was stuff that they were thinking, feeling every day. Mm-hmm. And I'd been married about eight years at that point. So of course I'm like, why have I not heard this before? And I think that's when the analyst hat went on. I think that's what started this whole thing because it's a long story, but I had this opportunity um, to work with um, the former chief of survey design at the U.S. Census Bureau, and to design a nationally representative survey of men. And at the end, you know, saw, was able to quantify what were some of those things, and that is right. that book that you're talking about, For Women Only. And that led us into the next project and the next one.
0: So. That's so cool, because I, I am admittedly skeptical of just about everything in my <laughs> life. So. Um, When I first picked up the book and it says, you know, national survey and all these things, I'm like, well, you didn't ask me, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm sure that, you know, 80% of guys say, you know, whatever. Whatever. But as I looked at it, it was like, oh, actually, that is how I feel in those situations. Mm. Oh, that is actually what I'm thinking sometimes. So the part of me that kind of always wants to resist being, you know, psychoanalyzed, well, maybe 80% of guys (laughs) say that, but I'm me, you know.
1: Well, and and we do need to say, you know, by definition, if 80% of guys said one way, 20% didn't, right? And so there is is an element to that. We're all individuals, but it's great as a starting point. Oh, definitely.
0: I, I think that's what I felt, and I think that's part of what... I think as as my wife and I were beginning to process some of that together sort of gave us this sense of like we could figure some things out you know and so now you've you've spent some energy more recently really thinking about what does it take to have a happy marriage like what, what are those couples doing and so what got you kind of onto that specific focus?
1: So the the whole point the whole kind of area of the good news about marriage and happy marriages it actually all started, um, I used to be, at the same time that I was doing some of these books, I was also a newspaper columnist. Remember newspapers <laughs> back in the day?
0: I used to read back the Back when there were actually
1: <laughs> newspapers. Um, and so I was a newspaper columnist, and, um, and I was doing a column on divorce, and I wanted to correctly cite the di- divorce statistics. Because, you know, everybody knows there's a 50% divorce rate, but I wanted to actually cite the right number. Like, maybe it's 48.7. Like, I I wanted to know what that was. So I was going on all the databases for the Census Bureau and the Bureau of Vital Statistics, et cetera, et cetera. And nothing I saw matched that narrative. Hmm. Like, the numbers weren't that, weren't that 50% thing. Like, not even close and I, start, and I was getting really confused. And so I started looking into this more and I started to think, wait a minute, like if that narrative isn't accurate, if that conventional wisdom of a 50%, you know, half flip the coin of marriages end in divorce, that's actually a really big deal. Mm. And so I started, I ended up, it sort of launched me onto this project that looking into like the divorce rate statistics, et cetera, That ended up being an eight-year project because it is really complicated, like it made my brain hurt. Hmm. Um, But the bottom line at the end of the day is that most of that that narrative of that conventional wisdom just is not true. There is no such thing as a 50% divorce rate for society as a whole and it's never been close actually and it's so damaging to believe that it is.
0: Well, that was a big aha for me because I know I've repeated that statistic because I've heard me it too, somewhere, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. No, you know, you, you warn your friends and you warn, you know, it's like, hey, 50% of marriages end in divorce and so we got to take this seriously and we got to work real hard. And, um, and so I think it, it, that was definitely one of the first like, really? I, yeah, I guess I don't know where I got that. I mean, I, I just believed yeah. it from somewhere. Um, but what is it that you feel like is so damaging about us you know, repeating that or believing that.
1: So really, truly, it comes down to, as, as Jeff and I have been doing this research with people over the years, one of the things that we have seen is that when you boil it all the way down to um, the most basic kind of core, there's really only one, one common denominator under whether a marriage survives or fails. And there's obviously tons of factors that play into it. But in terms of which outcome happens, there's really just one. And is it that the couple has a sense of hope or do they have a sense of futility? Hmm. That's that's really what it is. Because you can be going through a terrible time in your marriage. But if you have this sense of, yeah, this is really rough, but we're going to make it, you generally do. It's when you start thinking you know what, the ship is gonna sink anyway, so why are we spending so much energy trying to bail it out, right? Like, it's way better if you think the ship is gonna sink anyway, it is way better in your mind to like, well, I'm gonna use all that energy to try to escape the wreck Mm -hmm. intact, which is an understandable thought. And so that sense of futility is itself what can often harm a marriage. And so we realized we kind of have a culture-wide feeling of futility about marriage. And it's based on, I mean, there are very real challenges statistically, which we can get into if you want, but it's based on conventional wisdom that is just not accurate.
0: Sure. Well, I, I was just talking to a couple last week that are preparing for marriage And I realized, you know, they've had to work through, you know, in their pre-marriage stuff, you know, the conflict and intimacy and what do you do about money and, you know, some of these important but, you know, heavier, heavier issues. And I realized as I was talking to them, I was like, I think they just need to hear like, you guys are awesome and you're going to do great, (laughs) (laughs) you know? That's great. Um, Because they really care about each other, you know? And it it struck me if I can give you a different kind of example. But, um, you know, for those of you who've had to help kids through math homework, uh, one of our boys... When he sits down with his math homework, like you can see it on his face as he starts to hit that really tough problem that he begins to shut down and it's not long before he says out loud, I can't do it. And it's amazing how like as soon as he says that, it's, there's literally like something turns off in your brain and now you can't. And so what we've tried to encourage him is like, don't, just don't actually say that sentence out loud. Yeah. Don't start to believe that. Instead, like I know it's hard, but you're a smart kid, you can do this and ask for help. Like, we can help. And so one of the things that I, I just want to encourage, you know, you as, as a community here at Horizon, even as Shanti and I are, are talking this morning with all the research that she and Jeff have done, um, I know that there are places where you probably feel like you've hit that really hard math problem. And that even in a room this size, um, I know enough of you well enough to know that there are people in the room who are preparing for marriage and they're excited And there are many of us who are in the midst of marriage right now. And for some of us, that feels great. For some of us, that feels hard. And for some of you, you really are facing some of the toughest challenges right now. And so I'd encourage you uh, not to be flippant about it at all, but just like the math homework, ask for help. Because one of our core values here at Horizon is family. And that's why. Because whether you feel like you need just a little bit of encouragement, just somebody to pat you on the back and say, hey, you're doing great or whether you really feel like you've hit a difficult challenge, we're here to help you with that. And so I'd encourage you, you know, Chad would love to talk to you. You could talk to me, to John, um, come and talk to Gail Maui. We would be happy to just be that person that can help guide to some resources that may be uh, just encouraging for you. Yeah. Because I think as we've discussed these statistics, the, the disparaging part of that can, that can feel like there's no hope that's the piece that just isn't really true. That there really oh. is hope for this.
1: Absolutely. Can I? So can where did I,
0: we get that from then?
1: <laughs> where do we get this concept that there isn't? Right. Yeah. So, okay. So here's where that started. So we know why that conventional wisdom got started. And there was a real reason behind it originally. Because in 1970s, in 1972, there was no-fault divorce started. Okay. Right? And so you could get divorced because you wanted to. You didn't have to prove to a judge anymore Mm. that there was a reason to grant a divorce. And so at the time, the divorce statistics started skyrocketing. Like it had been, the divorce rate had been going along like this forever and then because, you know, no fault divorce. But really quickly, well, hold on. So here's what happened. Because it was going like this, the demographers of the day started saying, oh my gosh, if it keeps up like this, we're going to hit 50% someday. So by the way, anytime you see in the media, I'm going to give you a little free consulting (laughs) here. Anytime you see a a newspaper report or a media report about a 50% divorce rate, look at it really carefully because it usually says university researcher so-and-so projects a 48% divorce rate, whatever. Like circle the word projects. We've never hit that number. Hmm. Not for society as a whole. And what happened in the 1970s is that, yes, there was this huge spike, but really quickly actually individual couples and society saw this damage, Like, like this is doing a lot of damage. And so really quickly it hit a peak in 1980 and it's been coming down ever since then, mm. the divorce rate. To the to the point that today, I just saw some recent research, today we actually have finally hit where we were originally wow. um, in the divorce statistics. And so the encouragement is to recognize that, yeah, there are challenges, um, but no, things are getting better, not worse. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I, I remember... There's, there's something about, um, th- tell me again, the statistics of how many people are like still married to their first spouse, because so, I, I think that also surprised me because I believed this for so long. I know. And, and then you hear that a lot of marriages actually are sticking together.
1: I know. So here's, here's the numbers, just so you guys know as a starting point, and I need to say there was a reason why it took me eight years to figure <laughs> some of this out, because it really is complicated. And one of the problems is that nobody knows what the actual divorce rate is. It's, for various reasons, it's impossible to give one right number. Um, However, we can get a lot closer. And one of the best numbers that I look at, the Census Bureau numbers that I see, is that um, as of a few years ago, 71% of people are still married to their first spouse. So 29% aren't. Mm -hmm. And that 29% that aren't still married to their first spouse, that includes actually everybody who was married for 50 years and their spouse died. That's not just the divorce rate. And so we know it has to be less than that. And there's some factors you can add in like the rate of widowhood. There's various adjustments that you can say maybe it's somewhere around 25% um, for first marriages. Now, that's still too high obviously one out of four, but it's a universe (laughs) different than one out of two, right? right. And you can, you can legitimately, when you have a friend, let's just say you have a friend who's going through a problem and going through a really hard period, you can come alongside them and say, you know what, you're going to make it. Most people do. Mm -hmm. And it's true. So that's the thing that's to me, one of the most encouraging pieces of the puzzle.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, oh, and by the way, sorry. Go ahead. See, I nerd out over numbers. This is like so <laughs> crazy. But by the way, I just saw um, some numbers that just came out from the Census Bureau, mm-hmm. and I cr- I need to crunch them more because I'm so I'm a little nervous to say this out loud. But it the Census Bureau report actually said that the latest batch of data a number of years later, says that 77% of people are still married to their first spouse. So
0: it's even So it's even better. Yeah. Yeah,
1: So I just need to crunch that a little bit.
0: Well, I I love that because I think so often we hear, and again, like marriage is difficult, marriage is hard, and you you start to get this, um, you know, like when you're feeling fine, you just ignore that stuff because it must be hard for somebody else. But if you're (laughs) the person who feels like today was hard, then it's like, oh, marriage is hard. You know, marriage is difficult. And... And it can have sort of like you you mentioned like this self fulfilling prophecy um, piece to it, but you've painted that picture a little bit differently. So tell me what how would you reframe that part of the conversation?
1: So can I tell you my pet peeve? Sure. (laughs) And I don't know if anybody else in here thinks the same thing. No, this is (laughs) this is more big picture. I like you go to a wedding. You know, and you see this couple come up to the front and the pastor or the officiant stands up and, you know, and they start their message or their, you know, whatever it is they want to tell the couple. And somewhere in there so often the, the pastor or the, the judge or whatever says, you know, marriage is hard. <laughs> It's just hard. And it's like, dude, like that is that is not the best advertisement. Right. Hey, hey for let's marriage. go cut the cake. We're like, good now, right? <laughs> and and the the really the good news is there. And so I think I think what we mean when we say that is actually what we're saying is marriage takes hard work, hmm. which it does, right? And, um, but I I wish that we would change that narrative. Sometimes, absolutely, you need to come alongside someone or hear yourself, this is hard, I'm so sorry. Right, like, and there are going to be occasions where there is is abuse, there is something that is making this, like all the application of what we're saying here, totally different, and they need a much more specialized help. But in general, Mm Most people just love being married. Yeah. Most people enjoy it, and we and it's not rocket science to get there. It doesn't take that Ph.D. in psychotherapy sure. <laughs> to get there.
0: Well, that's really that's really encouraging because now, more recently, you've spent a lot of energy and research on what it takes for a couple to have a happy marriage, yeah. right? And, and I know you did a three-year study on that to find out, like, what, what were they doing differently that made them kind of self-identify as, like, we're a happy couple. Yeah. And um, in the book, The Surprising Secrets of Happy Marriages, one of the things that you point out is that there's, like, one kind of baseline prerequisite for that, which yes. always makes me be, like, what is it, (laughs) you know, what's that one thing?
1: I know, because we found all these things that the happy couples do differently, but there was this one that it was almost impossible to have a happy marriage without it. And and that is basically the fact that you have to choose to believe the best of your spouse's intentions towards you, Mm. even when you're legitimately hurt, right? Like everybody gets hurt. Like, even the best marriages, even the happiest marriages, we hurt each other's feelings. Like, even the most thoughtful husband and wife can be a jerk sometimes. Mm. The key is it turns out what you allow yourself to believe about their intentions towards you. And what naturally happens, I think, in our minds, and this is subconscious, but, like, if Jeff hurts my feelings, not that you ever do anything. Hypothetically, someday. Hypothetically. If that happens. Occasionally, yes. (laughs) But like, if if he were to do something or say something that hurts my feelings, there's this subconscious like sense of, ow, he knew how that would make me feel and he said it anyway. Mm. And you don't realize that what you're thinking is, he doesn't care about me. Because that's what that translates to, right? Or like, you know, a guy might think, you know, like the ow and nothing I do is ever good enough for her. And, you know, you don't think, you don't realize that what you're saying is she doesn't appreciate me. She doesn't care about me. And what we found with the happiest couples, which, by the way, included a study group of people who had gone from being in the most desperate place in their marriage to being in the happiest place Mm -hmm. in their marriage. One of the things that gets them there is when you feel that, ow, that's legitimate, okay, that's a legitimate thing. Mm -hmm. But you have to say, "Uh uh-uh. Uh uh-uh. uh, no. I know he loves me. I know she appreciates me, mm. so they must not have known how that would make me feel, or they wouldn't have said it that way. Sure. And it's a—it's just a choice. And I mean, <laughs> I hate to say it. Sometimes that's not going to always be 100% true. Like you know, you were mm. mad or you were tired or whatever, and you said something in anger. But overall, absolutely, it's true. It is not. Wishful thinking. Statistically, we found right. that the vast majority of people deeply care about their spouse, mm. even, by the way, even in the most difficult marriages.
0: Yeah, uh, I know that was a game changer for Melissa and I. Like, I can, I can picture the room we were standing in when we like looked at each other one day and just said, like, agreed. Would you please assume the best of me? Mm. Like, believe that I like. So for whatever I can even realize right now that half an hour from now or tomorrow I'm going to apologize for, like I know I'm not perfect and I know I probably, did that I was probably digging at you, but somewhere deep down it's because I actually do care yeah. and you actually do care and we actually love each other even though it doesn't feel like it right now and, and that, was, that was really a critical moment for us because then moving forward, like in those moments, you're trying to remember assume the best, like believe yeah, yeah. the best about them and if, if I can give you one uh... best
1: of their intentions towards yeah. you because yeah. what their actions may be may or may not be, but the intentions yeah
0: that's really good because so I'll, I'll give you this story and I did check with my wife I can I can tell this story so <laughs> <laughs> uh, because one of our one of the biggest fights you know that we ever had, you know like sometimes those happen over the things that you look back and you're like what was that what was that even actually a fight about yeah. you know um, but this was uh, some years ago. She was, she was working. It was like a 12-hour day. She'd been gone all day. I, I knew she was going to come home exhausted. And so I thought, like, this is my chance to win husband of the year. <laughs> so I'm home with the four little ones. Uh, and I'm taking care of the kids. And I thought, I'll clean the house, too. Like, I think I even vacuumed. Like, I, seriously, guys, I was going, like, all out. You know, this was going to be impressive by the time my wife got home. I figured I'll even make dinner. And so I made a freezer pizza. don't laugh. Let me me, me finish my story. (laughs) Because our kids were young enough. They were little enough. I thought a freezer pizza should probably feed these four kids. And then when Melissa gets home, I will make her whatever she wants for dinner. So after her long work day at a tough job, like she walks in the door, she looks at the top of the stove and there is a freezer pizza for six people. And the first thing she says is, "Is that all there is?" Is that all there is?" <laughs> e- ex- excuse me. did you just say, "Is that all that? You have any idea how many floors I vacuumed?" And, you know So like, looking back at it, like I laugh at it now, but it was, it was ugly <laughs> in the moment, because it's exactly what you just said. Yeah. What happened in the moment was, I believed she did not care. And I took that personally and I started to ramp up and I started to list all of the things that I had been working so hard and like, never mind all the things that she'd been doing. It was just all kind of that self-focused thing. So we laugh about it now, but part of it is that it helps me identify when I start feeling that way, I might be believing something about her that's not true. Yeah. You know? And so I, I, I hear sometimes, like you guys have probably heard this too, like don't keep score. It's like, oh, that's what I was doing, right? I was like, I did this and this and this and this and this and you did all the negative things, right? (laughs) Um, But again, in in your book, there's a chapter that actually says that happy couples keep score. Like totally flipped it on its head. So do tell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It turns out that happy couples do keep score. They just do it totally differently. Because, you know, there's a passage in the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, you know, which is very much like, the church in Corinth was very much like New York City. Like, mm. you know, it was very, very cosmopolitan, very much like today. And, and he's talking about love. And there's this one passage where he says, Love keeps no record of wrongs, oh, yeah. which is true. Like, it, that is the temptation. And so we do have to fight that. But it turns out when we studied and we looked at all these couples and what they were doing differently, um, it turns out that they do keep score, but of what their spouse is giving. It's a totally different thing. And they're looking for and keeping score of that good stuff. And there's this sense of gratitude that starts coming up. Um, that if, Do you mind if I use your example <laughs> as, a, as an ahead. example? Okay. <laughs> so, for, for example, suppose that the day before this day that you're talking about, that you had looked at Melissa, and let's just say she was working long hours and she was running kids to activities and you're looking at her and going, oh my gosh, that's so kind of her and I'm so glad she's such a good mom. And you watch like somebody, one of your kids have a meltdown and she's patient and you're like, oh my gosh, she's so amazing. Like I would have flipped, you know, whatever. And you're, you're noticing all these amazing things. And so you're like, wow, when she's on her shift tomorrow, what can I do? What can I do for her? Okay, I'll vacuum, right? I'll, I'll do the laundry. I'll, I'll do these things. How could I not? Because she's so amazing. And so it's not coming from the place of, I'm going to get all the pats on the back, even though you want those and there's nothing wrong with that, but from a, of course, mm. I, I, I mean, just out of gratitude. And then if she's doing the same thing, then she comes home from her long shift, and yeah, she has the comment about the pizza, but but then she's like, "Wow, you know, he, thank goodness he did the laundry. Oh my gosh, I was so not looking forward to doing that. And what can I do for him? Like tomorrow, blah blah blah. And so it's it's this natural thing. It's not um, it's not one-upmanship. Mm. It's not competition, which we're all human, and so that's obviously yeah. going to be in there. Yeah. It's it's not just wanting the pat on the back, but it's also coming from a place of true gratitude. Because one of the things that we found statistically in all of this research is that, yeah, there are occasions where there are some pretty big issues. Like, there are. Like, maybe in your marriage, your spouse doesn't do any of the laundry or whatever, you know, and, never, and you feel like you're supposed to be the one that does all the chores or whatever. Um, but... That could be true. And there could be all this other great stuff. Like Mm -hmm. maybe they're a great parent. Maybe they work really hard to provide. Maybe whatever it is, there's always stuff to be grateful
0: for. Yeah. Well, and I I think, you know, I know for a lot of us, especially like the busier life gets. And if, you know, husband and wife are, are, you know, are both working and building careers. And, you know, it can be easy to just forget how much of what they are doing that I don't always see, you know. Yeah. So I, it has been so helpful to me to take that perspective to kind of get outside of myself and just, you know, ask, you know, <laughs> so simple. How was your day, you know? <laughs> and hey, by the way, this was great that you did, you know, and just just celebrate that with each other. That that definitely um, raises that that happiness level.
1: Well, can I just also tell you what you just said is something that we found statistically. Actually, most people do mentally. Mm. Like, most people are grateful. You know, most people do notice, wow, she was on a 12-hour shift, you know, or whatever that is. But it doesn't always always make it out of our mouths. And so actually (laughs) being aware of that and saying those things can have a huge impact on its own.
0: My, my, I shouldn't even say this, my worst example of that, this was one time I get a birthday present from my grandma, and my mom says, you should write grandma a thank you card and tell her that you love her. I don't know how old I was. I was a teenager, but I was like, well, grandma knows I love her. And you're like, you need to tell grandma that you love her. Like, oh, yeah, that would be a good All idea. All the grandmas right?
1: out there are like, uh, yes.
0: <laughs> so if that's the one thing you hear today, no. Uh, but, but here's what, what struck me as, as we started kind of practicing that in our marriage, I think it it hit me that that's the way we talk a lot about Jesus. Mm -hmm. So Jesus like teaches us this way that, hey, as I have loved you, I want you to love one another. And like we just came through Easter, right? We heard about how he loves us so much Mm -hmm. that he actually died on a cross for all the silly things that I've done in my life, all the mistakes that I've made and rose from the dead because of his love for us. And so when I start thinking about that, it's like, Man, you know what? If, if he loves me that way, then I, I want to love people that way. It's not just like shame on you if you don't or, you know, kind of the guilt trip thing. It's like when you have that gratitude, Yeah. man, he forgave me that way, then I want to forgive too. And, and I can honestly tell you the, the Bible talks about marriage as one of the things that marriage can do is actually demonstrate like who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. That it can be a picture of that kind of love. And just to, to celebrate my wife and have gratitude for her right now, <laughs> I'm going to practice right now. Uh, I think some of the most clear ways I've ever understood who Jesus is is by watching my wife when she forgives me, when I probably didn't really deserve to be forgiven. Oh, that's what Jesus looks like. Wow. You know, that's yeah. what Jesus looks like. Um, so I think that has helped us to, to build kind of the sense of hope, the sense of good news, that the sense that there is um, happiness just right around the corner. You know, and, and so I've got to ask you, as you've been doing this research, I know that you you've discovered statistically data-driven that the couples who are happiest ironically are not focused on trying to be happy. Like it's not got to be happy today, got to be happy today, <laughs> got to be happy today, blew it again, got to be happy today. Like, they're focused on something else. Yeah. I mean, what is that?
1: So it turns out that statistically the the most happy couples are most likely to be putting God at the center of their marriage mm. so that both the husband and the wife are both focused primarily on the Lord and not like, okay, it's your job to make me happy. Mm. Uh uh It's that's actually up to me and him, right? And, and this actually flies in the face of another piece of conventional wisdom that probably everybody has heard that when I started digging into this, it was debunked really quickly. Because um, you know how, you guys have probably heard the rate of divorce is the same in the church. Have you guys heard that? You know what I'm talking about? So, so that is a really, really common statement. And it turns out it's based on a total misunderstanding of an old study by George Barna, like 20-something years ago, Mm. who, when I looked at this and I started, because it didn't match any of the demographics, like every demographer will argue about what the divorce rate is. There is no argument about this one. Like every demographer knows that's not true. Mm. Um... And when I started to look at it, I realized that the, what had happened with that study, it got misinterpreted and the news spread really quickly and wrongly. Um, what George Barna was doing was he was calling people on the phone and saying, you know, are asking like, are you Christian? Are you Jewish? Are you Muslim? Are you atheist? Are you a religious nun? And those people had the same divorce rates, but specifically they excluded whether the person went to church from the analysis. Mm. They, they literally pulled it out. So I bought that data set. I partnered with Barna and I bought the data set and we added that back in. And here's the truth that every study has found is that if you regularly try to make your faith part of your life by attending church regularly, by trying to, you know, step into some of those actions that matter, the divorce rate plummets and happiness in marriage rises it's not perfect and there's exceptions to this but statistically the people who put God at the center of their marriage are just far more likely to have a happy marriage
0: yeah yeah I feel like I'm a case study for this (laughs) because there's some part of like hey I showed up to a building called Horizon Community Church and they said (laughs) God is the answer like you almost expect it and yet like I've lived that like I, I could literally tell you that that Like, from the day that Melissa and I realized, hey, this next season's going to be hard. Like, when we hit the challenging season, it was like, I believed in God. Um, I mean, I was even going to church, but, like, I wasn't, like, reading the Bible on my own. I wasn't trying to talk to God about things I was learning or about my life. I was just kind of coasting through, you know. It's like, and at that moment, you know, made this commitment, like, okay, if, if it's true, Like, if the thing they say about Genesis 2 and all the way back on page 1 of the Bible, like, if it's true that God created marriage, he wants it to be good, and he'll help. Actually, this is at least one thing that me and God agree on. (laughs) Like, I'm going to start talking to him every day and and investing in my relationship with God. Um, I now tell people all the time the absolute best marriage advice that I can give is if he goes and talks to Jesus... And she goes and talks to Jesus. Yeah, he's not going to tell you different things, and in fact, he's actually going to say, "I'll help," you know, "I'll help." Yeah. Um, so that's just been been life changing for me, and so it sounds like um, you. sounds like you've lived that. <laughs> it sounds we, like you found that too. We
1: have lived that. We found it. We found it statistically, and I mean the really, truly the good news. You know, if we're talking about good news, meaning you know the gospel and the good news about Jesus, really one of the main points that we see in all the studies, you see all these academic researchers and they're like, well, why do churchgoers have better marriages, you know? And one of the points that everybody sort of lands on from a secular perspective is you're more likely to be in community, you're more likely to be, if somebody's, if there's something wrong, someone's gonna come and say, are you guys doing okay? And can we come alongside you? But then there's this supernatural component that we also know is true, which is if there really is a God of the universe who cares about our marriages, and if we really do have him as our advocate and in us, for those of us who have accepted Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit to be able to say, I know you don't want to be patient with your spouse right now but I'm going to help you be patient with your spouse right now. Yeah. That's not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. And I think that's just as much of the reason as, you know, some of these technical things like we're in community, which are yeah. true too.
0: Well, I love I love the analytical part of my brain and the skeptical part <laughs> of my brain loves having the data to back it up. So Shanti, I've just so enjoyed our conversation and I'm just really thankful that that you and Jeff have been here to hang out with us today. And so can we just give Shanti a big thank you.
1: Thank you.